Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer, This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants. to the Voice of Wrestling Rumble Rewind. I'm back again with Chad Campbell of PlaceToBeNation.com. Uh, Chad, for people that maybe haven't listened to the first podcast or are avoiding <laughs> Royal Rumble 1988 with some, potentially some good reason, um, maybe explain a little bit about yourself and, and what uh, what you guys do over at Place to Be Nation. Okay. I am assistant editing manager, editor over at PlaceToBeNation.com, and we have uh, articles that vary all facets of pop culture so not only wrestling but also sports movies tv gaming comics we have a lot of comics coverage and uh, also mma so check us out at place to be nation.com and give us a shot absolutely all right well uh we have the big the the what i would say is the big one i mean this is uh royal rumble 1992 is what we're gonna be looking at here um in this edition um this is a match that not only i think a lot of people regard as as, as their favorite or or, or the quote-unquote, you know, best Royal Rumble, but I think a lot of people think it's just one of their favorite matches of all time. I think you're included in that list. Yeah, this is always one of my favorite matches of all time. It's always one that I was able to go to as a kid and really enjoy, and then later on in life, I've been able to revisit it and enjoy it just as much. So mm-hmm. it's a special match in that regard to me. Absolutely. So we'll get into uh, the, the nitty gritty of it first. Uh, as I, I always like to do, I like to look at the these arenas and see what they're doing. The, the last one I did, uh, Royal Rumble 2000, was the Madison Square Garden. So that wasn't too fun because I don't really have to tell anybody what, what's going on with the Madison Square Garden. But this one's a little bit different. This is the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany, New York. I mean, this is like, it's hard to believe that that such a big sort of event would be going on in the Knickerbocker Arena in Albany. You know what I mean? Like where where now WWE is, is, is very careful to position a lot of their big stuff depending on where it's going to be. I mean, they don't want something huge to be in Des Moines. I mean, no offense to Des Moines, but they don't want, you know, a big title match or whatever to happen. They, they, they like to happen in a major media market. They like to have it happen in this sort of stuff. Whereas this is a, a huge moment in, in, in WWE history that happens in a, a relatively obscure, you know, city. I, I, Albany's fine, but you know what I mean? It's not, it's not Los Angeles. It's not Madison Square Garden. It's not, you know, Toronto or Chicago or any of those kind of big, uh, you know, heavyweights. Yeah, it's like when uh, WCW went to Mobile and kind of places like that, sort of mid mid-sized towns that mm-hmm. typically you wouldn't. Or like the NWO happening in, you know, <laughs> right? Daytona. NWO having in St. Petersburg or whatever, or uh, or what was that in Daytona? It was that in one? Daytona, oh, was it? yeah, ninety-six. Yeah. So, yeah, they they WCW was not really good at uh, <laughs> <laughs> arenas. The only one they ever got right was the uh, the Goldberg Hulk Hogan. In, in your neck of the woods and i think that they didn't know that until like the week before that's why they booked it on thunder because they're like oh crap we're gonna be in atlanta <laughs> like yeah the famous i was actually at that live that's probably my favorite live moment and just a quick sidebar on that like they sold they already had the ticket sold and then the story is that hogan knew they sold 35,000 seats so he lobbied for it to be the title change oh. just so it looked like he drew the gate or whatever <laughs> classic hogan Oh, Hogan, oh, Hogan. But uh, the Knickerbocker Arena actually still around. Um, Surprisingly, it's now the Times Union Center 
Uh, it was formerly the Pepsi Center as well. Um, they've actually had a lot of pretty big moments in, in this arena. In uh, 1999, when it was the Pepsi uh, Arena, or sorry, the Pepsi Arena, not the Pepsi Center, uh, this is the place where Stone Cold Steve Austin had the beer truck driven down the ramp and, and sprayed Vince McMahon, The Rock, and, and Shane McMahon going into WrestleMania 15. That was a big moment. Also, another one that I completely um, I had no idea was it took place here is Edge won his first uh, WWE title. Uh, that that uh, New Year's Revolution, uh, when he cashed in the Money in the Bank, the first Money in the Bank cash in, ah. uh, the one on John Cena. So the two pretty significant moments in, in WWF history going on at the old Knickerbock Arena in Albany. So they, they, they got lucky. That's not bad as far as drawing goes. No. But uh, All right, so let's get into the Rumble 1992. We start off, uh, Howard Finkel does his usual spiel, that, the, the thing that he loves to do. I mean, you could just see the look in his face. When he gets to go run down all these things, and 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 he goes on for like five minutes, and I found out one of the one of the funniest parts about this is is he goes on and he goes on and he goes on and he goes on, and then when he ends, uh, Gorilla Monsoon goes very simple over the top into the concrete. You're eliminated. <laughs> <laughs> like it was like a again like every single year I think there's and I'm noticing it more as I watch it. Like I watched the 2001 and uh, and Lawler and, and and Ross are like, all right, we got it, we got it, Howard. We know how to how it's done. And Monsoon sort of did the same thing here. Like, well, it's real simple. You can say it in like two sentences. You go over the top rope, you're eliminated. Like that's it. But but Finkel loves it. You know he just <laughs> adores being able to do this whole uh, long spiel. So we have that. Uh, we have Jack Tunney come out because this is a, a very historic moment uh, for people that aren't um, aware of what's kind of going on at this situation. This goes back pretty far. So this goes back to um, a Survivor Series 1991, uh, where the Undertaker defeated Hulk Hogan with the help of Ric Flair. Uh, then you had the Tuesday in Texas, which was a, a, a very <laughs> Not very good experiment to have a pay-per-view on a Tuesday, like three days after a, a, another pay-per-view. So they had that event. Uh, Hogan won that one, but again, it was weird circumstances. So Tony essentially held the title up. Right. And this doesn't happen too often uh, where, where the title is just for, for a decent amount of time as well. Just not, you know, not, not defended, not not any of that sort of stuff. And, and this was historic, too, because it, it matched up right with the Royal Rumble. And it's obviously unfortunate. It's just weird. It's the first time we've had the Royal Rumble be for the title. And and. It's amazing that they haven't done it since then. You know what I mean? Yes, yes, I agree with that. And just a, a few little anecdotes with Tunney here. He had some pretty big heel heat from the Knickerbocker Arena. And his tie, I don't know if you noticed this, but it's, I did not notice his tie. His, his tie looks like a centerpiece you would put in your Thanksgiving <laughs> table. It has like some weird, like harvest looking flowers on it. It's a terrible tie. It's certainly an early 90s tie. But I am surprised I have not done it again where the Rumble was for the championship. And looking back at the 1988 one compared to this one, we're only four years removed from 1988 but already you can tell it's a lot more prestigious just in this introduction it's it's a big moment it's it's not a throwaway pay-per-view or a a throwaway you know tv special it's it's a big deal now and 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 this one was was obviously as i mentioned one of the most historic moments in in dota history because for the first time ever you just have i mean literally 30 guys have a chance to win the title at any given moment i mean obviously (laughs) i don't know if the you know you know Hercules was going to win it, but it, it's still it's it, it's it always had that intrigue. Where Gurul Monsoon the entire match, he's always saying, "Well, you know what? what? What would happen if Virgil won it? I mean, Virgil can win it. I mean, that's that's how significant this moment was." Um, we start at one two. We get uh, Ted DiBiase and, and uh, the British Bulldog. British Bulldog was number one. Ted DiBiase two. Uh, this is where they brought a lot of fanfare too to the, um, the the early entrance, and we, and we didn't necessarily see that with uh, eighty eight. They sort of talked about it, and the Bret Hart's number one, and Santana's number two. But this one, they were really like, especially with Bobby Heenan on commentary, and and we'll get to him a little bit later. But he's sweating out because he's the you know the manager of Ric Flair. He's sweating out at any moment. You know what number are they going to get? What numbers Flair going to get? What number you know? And and make a huge deal about Bulldog one DiBiase two, especially DiBiase, who in previous years had had bought better spots. He ends up at number two this year. So yeah, they already were commenting. I, I, one thing. I mean, it's no secret, but the commentary is amazing for this match. And the way they bring up past history is excellent throughout this match with who's won, what championships, uh, how others have fared in previous Royal Rumbles. They did mention, like you said, that DiBiase had bought uh, a better placement in years past. And there was also a very strange fan that was dressed up in a sensational Sherry airbrush shirt that they cut. I saw to, <laughs> which, which I don't know. I can only imagine like when he went to purchase that shirt, what the cashier was thinking that checked him out or airbrushed it. But I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> that was great. I, and I, I did want to make a mention that the commentary too. And that, and that's one thing that really, um, 
we don't see enough from from heel managers today or really any or not managers but uh, announcers or really any announcers at all it's just totally putting these guys over where you have a Bobby Heenan who's playing a heel, but when guys are coming out, he's listing their credentials, no matter what they are. I mean, he's, you know, a British bulldog. He's not rooting actively rooting. I mean, he's, he's rooting against British bulldog, but he's willing to tell you, Oh my God, this guy's a former intercontinental champion. You know, he's, he's doing this sort of stuff or former tag team champion or whatever. I mean, as these guys are coming out, he's just listing off all their accomplishments just to make it that big and much more of a big deal that look, every one of these guys in here is a big deal. I mean, every one of these guys has credentials. Everybody has a reason for being in here and, and is worth it. And, you know what? Hey, they could have a chance to win. And I thought that was just awesome. How you know, a guy like Roddy Piper comes out and he's immediately just, oh my god, you know, let's listen to this and, and and this and and guys like Savage, like Randy Savage, he just goes into like a two minute spiel about, oh, this is a former Intercontinental Champion, a former WWF Champion, a, you know, a, a King of the Ring. That's it, it's just it's awesome to see that. It's just like it's not that hard. Just <laughs> talk about how awesome your guys are. Yeah, he's <laughs> able to keep his heel structure without derailing the match or just straight up burying guys which is something we haven't seen. Uh, I mean, with Michael Cole, with his hero commentary, it was just atrocious. So mm-hmm. this was a welcome change to that. Yeah, absolutely. So we have, uh, start off with the one, two, obviously, uh, Bulldog and DiBiase. Bulldog uh, throws DiBiase out, and then uh, he gets to wait for the next guy. And number three is Ric Flair. And, and, and I thought this, the camera shot that they used during Ric Flair, and they did it for Hogan as well, I believe, is and, and they did it for a little bit around this night two period where they start around the ring and then they just have like a dolly or I don't know how they were doing it exactly, and it just zooms right in on their face. Mm-hmm. I just love that that shot. I I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you know exactly what I'm talking about or if you made note of that, but that's like my favorite all time camera shot because it just makes these guys look like larger than life, like gods. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, they kind of walk up to the ramp and then they meet the guy and then immediately kind of pan and walk sort of side by side with their Mm -hmm. competitor. And it it is a great uh, camera angle at making the guys look really huge. And you can see the spotlights kind of shining down on them and it really works here. I mean, a flare, entrance along with uh gorilla rubbing it in and bobby just being completely exasperated <laughs> is probably a definite iconic moment absolutely uh, and and i made note of the here that the crowd is just insane i mean they know the type of moment it is i mean you have a guy like jerry sags who comes out next and the crowd just booing the hell out of him and he's <laughs> just getting huge heat and it's like they were just they were like we're gonna cheer and boo Every single guy, like we're not going to sit on our hands at any moment. And I thought that was awesome. I mean, the crowd understood how big of a moment it was and, and was really willing to to make it that much bigger. Yeah. And I thought that him going up against Bulldog as his like first uh, kind of competitor that he faced was a smart move because Bulldog wasn't someone that was chopped liver, but they built up to a crescendo in the middle of the match that we'll discuss. But I thought being him up against Bulldog as the first person was very strategic with how they planned that. And, and I uh, forgot to mention as well with uh, with Bulldog, they were talking about um, his credentials and that yeah. he had just won a uh, battle royal at Royal Albert Hall. And I looked I looked up the event. It happened uh, October 3rd, 1991. And it was literally called WF Battle Royal at Royal Albert Hall. Uh, it's available on VHS on Amazon for like... $90. So if you, if you ever want to see it, uh, it's just a 20 man battle Royal, uh, at Royal Albert hall. Um, I couldn't find any other real big details on that, but they make a lot of mention that, you know, Bulldog can win. He just, you know, very recently. And that, and that kind of talks to what we were talking about again with, with the, these announcers, just every single guy, they, they were giving you the thought that, you know what, Hey, this guy could possibly win or, Hey, you know, this guy and, and Bulldog was another one where they were talking about his, his accomplishments at Royal Albert hall a, a few months after that. So. Right. Yeah. I have, I think that, it, that may be on the same uh, Coliseum home video as the the Ric Flair Tito Santana match. I'm almost positive it is, uh, but that's that's a pretty fun Royal Rumble. I do think I've seen that before, but that is again good how they gave a soundbite for each competitor and gave their credentials. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we have Bulldog. He uh, hits a huge drop kick on Sags and uh, eliminates him. So it's back to Bulldog versus Flair, and Flair's in in, in full Flair mode, begging him off and 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 trying to plead with him and <laughs> and do whatever he can. Um, next one out is Haku, and uh, Bobby the Brain is initially very happy because he's like, "All right, cool. Well, you know, Haku's on my side or whatever." Uh, he starts attacking Flair, and, <laughs> and and Haku, you know, or uh, Heenan goes insane. We're off the back going, what are you doing and whatever. And I, I thought this was also strategic as well because we talked about before in the 88 Rumble where it was very heels versus faces. Faces helping other faces beat heels. This right away is just 
boom. This is every man for himself. Haku has no allegiance. He doesn't care if it's Ric Flair or whoever it is. He was going out there. He's trying to win the title. And I thought this was interesting to have this early of just like, you know what? Hey, screw it. I'm attacking everybody. You know what I mean? Yeah, that came out very quickly, like you said. And that's a theme that'll be continued throughout the rest of this match. But it was good to get that out the window uh, very quickly that it was every man for himself. They're fighting for the world wrestling federation title so it's a hugely historic opportunity for everybody in there and whether you're a heel or face doesn't really matter for this one match uh we see Shawn michaels come out number six and i believe this is the first time we saw him as the heartbreak kid correct yes so he okay, was so this is his... newly minted as a heel yeah because i think he had a promo earlier in the show and i haven't watched the, I, I didn't watch the whole show in anticipation of this i just watched the, the rumble but i think i could have swore he had a promo either before the rumble i it wasn't in the in the clip that i saw but i thought there was something where, where you saw him do, do a promo and, and sort of talk about his transformation but yeah because the barbershop thing happened very early in 1992 mm-hmm. i think it was like january 10th and this is what the 19th so this yeah. would have been just a week after that happened it was actually a week before this that happened on challenge january 12th so yeah one okay. week before this absolutely and, and, and what, i would ask your thoughts but i mean we're, we're so far back now that it's almost amazing to, to think of him as anything else but you know this sort of pseudo character but it, it, it's kind of weird at first though i i know um uh they make a little bit of mention about it but it, it was kind of interesting to see just a huge transformation like you know one day he's you know this very happy-go-lucky you know bright colors wearing guy and then he's sort of it, it was interesting to see the transformation, but obviously it was a it was a good idea, even though initially it was kind of a little odd. But yeah, it was a pretty stark transformation. But I think Sean's true personality at the time it fit him well, so he was able to move into this persona fairly quickly. Yeah, and and unfortunately some issues with uh, Marjana, you kind of prevented them from having a big blow off. Right. I mean, they had the blow off, uh, you know, Royal Rumble '93, but that uh, yeah, that match was not uh, very good because. Somebody might have not been all together <laughs> that one. And if for some reason, it wasn't it wasn't Shawn Michaels this time. Actually. Yes. So, when Shawn's, in the surprising turn, <laughs> when pre uh, born again, Christian Shawn Michaels is the most professional person in a match you're in trouble. So that yeah. goes to show you. <laughs> Uh, we had Tito Santana come out seventh, and then we had the Barbarian come out eighth. Um, initially, just looking at this first few crap of people, we had the we had the Bulldog, DiBiase, Flair, you know, Shawn Michaels, a guy like Tito Santana, even the Barbarian or whatever. I mean, you're, you're looking again. I mean, we, we compare it a little bit to, to 1988, which is pretty unfair, and we'll probably stop doing that pretty soon because it's <laughs> going to start blowing it out of the water. But I mean, you look at that right there. I mean, there's three bona fide stars right there. There's a guy that's on the up. I mean, there, there's there's monsters. I mean, it's it's obvious right off the bat that this is a big deal. Right. Even Tito, they were talking about, again, him being a former IC champion. I did like how Sean and Flair went at each other as soon as Mm -hmm. Sean got in. And he also gave the sweet chin music to Flair. Which, of course, it wasn't named that or even close to a crescent kick. Yeah. Yeah. I I didn't notice whether he told Flair he loved him right before he delivered that sweet chin music in this match. (laughs) But but I did find that odd. And they really paired off and went at each other pretty good here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, After the Barbarian, we had the Texas Tornado who ran out and immediately started attacking Ric Flair. I thought this was kind of surreal to see Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair. Um, one of them, obviously, uh, as, as you know, kind of the the guy that was benchmarked to be the WWF champion, another guy that was just a shell of his former self. But it's just amazing to see these two, you know, some ten, a little less than ten years after, you know, they, they're huge matches, and it's like the directions their careers have gone have just couldn't be any more different. Right. So yeah, you could have argued when Kerry won the NWA title in May of 1984 that they were fairly equal as far as their career pass alignment. And now, like you said, eight years later, it's a far cry from that where we're almost right at the end of Kerry Von Erich. He passed away a year to the date almost of mm-hmm. this show. And Flair, while his peak is, some might argue his peak is going to happen in about 40 minutes from when this interaction happens. He's still obviously a huge name and one of the top stars of the promotion, but that was good how they went at each other. And uh, also at the same time they were going at each other, Shawn Michaels and El Matador were really kind of gunning mm-hmm. at each other, kind of setting up their WrestleMania eight match. And- yeah. I, I noticed that as well. I mean, this was uh, the storytelling in this one is, is there's so many little subtle things that you really have to notice to get, and I think that's why it's a lot of people's favorite matches, and especially if you know um, the the context around it and the shows around it. It's just like 
almost every guy that comes in there, everything he does is calculated and it has a reason. I mean, like you mentioned, Shawn Michaels and Tito Santana, they start fighting leads to WrestleMania, you know, the flare Texas tornado. That was kind of a hearkening back to what they had in 84. You know, you mentioned just every single guy has something there. It's, it's really something to be seen. Yeah. Bobby had a great line when Sean was pounding away on El Matador that he was making guacamole out of El Matador. <laughs> I, I did notice that as well. And then Monsoon was like, oh, stop. And he's like, look, he's wearing green. I, I, like, <laughs> I love that. Bobby's trying to justify his racism. Yes. <laughs> That's good. Uh, after the Texas Tornado, we have the Repo Man who comes out, who I never really got the character of the Repo Man. Because Okay, his name is the Repo Man, and, and Repo Men are, are legally allowed to do what they're doing. Why does he have to be like the cat burglar? Yeah. Why was he not called the burglar? Like, he's, he's sneaky, and he's like, you don't have to be sneaky if you're a Repo Man. You can just go and get it. Like, you know what I mean? And, and it, I think the Repo Man, it, yeah, I, don't, I think they got confused. It's a little bit of job uh, occupation confusing because, yeah, it was like he would sneak around. I mean, you could have done I, – I don't even know how the character could have worked and be logical where, like, <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't pay the taxes on their world title belts or something, so he reposed the icy belt or something ridiculous. But he did yeah, – Him and IRS, they, that could have been a team. I mean, that's the team of the ages is <laughs> – I have another IRS tag team that happens in this match coming up, but Repo did do a good entrance where he kind of looks at the back and he has this like crowd sneaky kind of look. <laughs> I never got it. Stupid. And he's, he's got the cat burglar thing going too, with a little like around his eyes. Yes. It's like, what are you doing? Like what? Oh, oh, Repo man. Oh, Barry Darso. That's, that's always a good one. So <laughs> uh one thing that I found was pretty interesting in this one as well is there wasn't a whole lot of quick, um, you know, eliminations. I mean, the quickest ones I found were um, initially you had Ted DiBiase, who went pretty quick in a minute 18. Uh, Jerry Staggs went 106. Uh, Haku went 151. But the rest of the guys we listed right there, I mean, Shawn Michaels, he lasted 15. Tito Santana lasted 13. Barbarian, 12. Uh, Tornado, 9. A guy like the Reaper Man even got six minutes, which is is pretty crazy because, I mean, especially now when, when you get those guys that are such a lower level, they're in and out of there pretty quick. But these guys, they gave everybody a lot of time. And there, were, there was a lot of points where that ring was just filled with people. Yeah, they filled up the ring good but on the counter argument to that is you never got a sense that there was just 12 to 13 guys not doing anything in the ring mm-hmm. there was always a couple of interesting points coming on this around this section is probably maybe the biggest lull in the match but it's still uh, probably more entertaining than anything we saw at the 88 rumble yeah, absolutely. And the next few guys are, are, are the complete opposite of that because they're out in and out real quick. You have uh, Greg Valentine coming out. Uh, again, this is another one that they mentioned, you know, his credentials, the background of what, all that. Uh, he actually gets eliminated by the Repo Man, which I, I don't even I was remember. Shocked I'm looking at my that. list and I don't remember how that happened, but the Repo Man got two eliminated. Yes, you got Nikolai Volkov he, yeah, on too. Why right, did these happen? Right. I have no notes of these. Nick, Nick uh, Valentine was number 11. And uh, he, again, goes after Flair, which is really great because they had a good feud in Mid-Atlantic. Uh, went to 60-minute draw on the Final Conflict show. And then Nikolai comes out right after that. And shockingly, Repo does get a little bit of a push because he eliminates both of them, which is really shocking. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I made a note here that, that Heenan at this time, uh, he was talking about he was listing the amount of guys that we still had left. And I think, again, this is what we're talking about again, where, where you make this feel so big because Hina goes, oh, my God, look at all the stars in here already. And we haven't even gotten to Savage and 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 um, The Undertaker and Sergeant Slaughter and, and, and Sid and Hogan or whatever. And it's like he's just saying these are all, you know, world champions or, or you know, main eventers, and they still haven't come out yet. So, right. like, we haven't even seen that. You know, we're only halfway through. and We haven't even seen the big guys yet. So I thought that was awesome. That was That was really cool. Um, I made a note here when, uh, when Nikolai Volkov, who came in uh, 12th, uh, as he's walking down, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, or, uh, sorry, um, Bobby Heenan goes, oh, he's the 320-pound Lithuanian. And then Monsoon waits a second and goes, things looking pretty bad for Russia these days. And I was like, well, what is he, Lithuanian or Russia? <laughs> Talks about how it'd be a feather in the cap for him winning or whatever. Yeah, so that it would make Russia feel good, yeah, yeah, after the post-Berlin uh, wall fall if, if Nikolai Volkov could. Nick, Nikolai was the same number in this Rumble as the 88 mm-hmm. one. So I, I, I don't know right offhand if he was in more Rumbles. I'd assume he was. But I wonder if he was number 12 just because that was the only number he understood. If that, like, <laughs> like you're number 12, just, just bank on it. Yeah. Uh, right around this time, uh, Davey Boy got eliminated, and it seemed really random and kind of rushed, and the crowd really initially was – 
it, it was not much of a boo of more of like a, a groan in that sense. I, I, what were your thoughts on that, uh, of Davies elimination? It was at the hands of Ric Flair, obviously. Yeah. I liked that Flair, the way he eliminated him because it did make Flair kind of seem the way they structured the match throughout was every guy was attacking Flair. Flair was really on the ropes, but then he'd have these kind of aha moments of offense or cleverness or resourcefulness, whatever you want to call it. And this was one of them where he'd have a sudden burst of a little bit of offense and eliminate someone like Davey. So I thought that made it important. And I think if you go back in time and try to think, it's, it's, it's hard now because we know what happens at the end. But if you think as a viewer, if I was watching this for the first time, a moment like that would have kind of built up to what happened at the finish and made me kind of see where they're going, which I thought was pretty brilliant, too. Yeah, uh, one of my favorite moments happened right around here. Uh, Flair, uh, a barbarian, I forgot what happened exactly uh, or what barbarian was doing. I think they might have helped each other get someone out or whatever. But uh, so Flair high fives barbarian and, and then. Barbarian turns around and then Flair just walks up to him and chops him. And I was just like, God, I love Flair. Like, like what is he doing? Like, he just immediately high fives and immediately chops. It was just so good because Barbarian was like, Yeah, all right. And then he just, I love Flair. It's just like, and it's so much better. And Bobby Heenan goes, What are you yes, doing? Yes, like, that's what I was about to say. Because Bobby, serve your energy. yeah, with Bobby, too, a former Heenan family guy, he's able to, you know, he knows how dangerous the Barbarian can be because he managed him. Uh, this is great. Uh, uh, a big boss man comes out 13th. Uh, after about three minutes or so, he is um, – boss man takes out a few guys. He takes out the Repo Man, unfortunately. So the, the dream of the Repo Man is, is over. He also <laughs> takes out Hercules. Uh, it was around this time where uh, Flair knocks out boss man, and Flair's the last one in the ring. And Bobby Heenan starts screaming, Flair's the champion. Flair's the champion. <laughs> and, uh, again, I mean, Heenan's just awesome on this one. I'm on two, and, uh, you know, you idiot. No, there's still 30. There's 15 guys left to go. But I just thought the moment was great. I mean, Heenan's just – oh, it's so good. I mean, that, that's kind of a laugh out loud moment where it, it, it's it's serious because you, you you believe this guy and and that's what's that's where comedy is the best in wrestling where you can laugh at the guy and the guy almost you know what I mean he's he's not self aware he didn't legitimately thought that, or legitimately was excited that that Flair was doing it and it's it's, it's a good moment to sort of laugh at and, and chuckle at but it's not guys being complete characters of themselves you know he didn't legitimately was just like oh yeah yeah you know it's I do like that it's it's yeah it was a fun mind. Tito and Sean eliminated each other. So, again, that set up their feud. Uh, and Sean, I guess just to put a, a, a lid on his appearance here, he was very athletic throughout this match. Really kind of showed off his athletic ability, hung on. And he had some interaction with Kerry Von Eric, which is a Texan, you know, was probably a thrill for him, probably somebody he grew up watching. And just the setup to this moment with the big boss man spot and then the look of anguish on Flair when Piper comes out is, yeah, is this... again just amazing. Yeah, it's just Flair, as you mentioned, Flair's in there by himself. Uh, Piper comes out and just screams, or just screaming, running down the, down the aisle. Heenan's going nuts. Again, I mean, they were feuding at that time a little bit. I know uh, Piper was was doing some commentary before that, and 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 they always had this kind of you know, tongue-in-cheek or, or, or not really outward feud, but but sort of a feud in that sense. But again, I mean, it, it, we talked about it, where just every guy in this match, I mean, every new guy coming out had something to do with someone else, and there's just so many stories and, and, and paths to go with this one. And this one, this one was perfect. I mean, this is... You have Flair by himself, nowhere to go, Piper coming out, just just perfectly booked, you know, to make that feud and, and, and to make their fight look pretty serious. So th this was great. Yeah, I think it could have been, I would say, easy if they were booking this, that they could have put Hogan in this slot with Piper mm -hmm. coming out. But I thought it was better, actually, with Piper coming out the way he did, especially after winning the IC title earlier in the night. And Piper seems really motivated here. He gives a high knee. They go to the outside. He bonks Flair's head off the guardrail. So this is wild man Piper offense kind of at his best. And this is a great two minutes, these two together. And this is another, I made a note of this, is when booking the Royal Rumble, I always, I'm always kind of fascinated. And I, and I love, I would just wish if somebody could get a hold of Pat Patterson and just talk to him for, for like, you know, two hours about this, of just, I, I just, I'm always fascinated by how everything just, especially in this one, everything just hits at like the right time and everyone's in the right area and everyone's in the right spot and everyone's out at the right time and, and that sort of stuff. It just amazes me is, is like, how do they, how do you even fathom? 
booking this to make it work as well as it does. It's hard enough to book a tag match, let alone 30 guys interacting with each other. You know, a, a situation like this completely ruined if there's one guy still in the ring or if there's one guy that forgot to get eliminated or right, whatever. completely right. ruined if that. I mean, everything has to be perfect to make these things as impactful as they are. And and somehow, some way that they do it. So I don't know what they do. I don't know if there's just a giant board or if these guys just talk about it before. I mean, I, I'm always fascinated. I, I, I never have understood how the, everybody just works in perfect you know, mm-hmm. sync. And and where they start, do they, I mean, I would assume they start with the winner and kind of build off from there. But then mm-hmm. once from there, do they start at the end and go backwards or do they have certain high points that they want to reach throughout the rumble? It, it would be fascinating to see how the matches are structured and just if Patterson would go through some of the strategic choices they made each year, if he could remember like the booking sheets or any notes or something like that from this error would be gold. Absolutely. Um, after Piper, we have uh, Jake Roberts who comes out um, again at this point, he was kind of a heel. So we a little bit less fanfare uh, <laughs> this time, but obviously still a ton of heat uh, for Jake Roberts. Um, Jim Duggan comes out after uh, him. Uh, who do I have after this? Uh, or Schweitzer, IRS, the hopeful tag team partner of, uh, of repo man, the, the one that would make sense. Um, after, uh, IRS, we have Jimmy Snuka come out. Uh, he gets a pretty decent amount of uh, reaction as well. And then we have the Undertaker who comes out. That's a big deal as well. That that um, the crowd immediately gasps, and that's another guy that that you're very interested in because he is a definitely contender for winning this. I mean, there, there's there's been a lot of guys that I would say outwardly. I mean, other than you know a Flair or or a Bulldog maybe, and possibly a Piper. But now you have another one in here that that that's a legit chance to do it. But I mean, obviously, it, what we found out, he wasn't really. He had been sort of put to the back burner a little bit at, at this right, point. but right. Yeah, so a couple things for this sequence. I, I also really enjoy this sequence because Jake comes out and at the beginning continues to let Piper just beat up on Flair and sits in mm-hmm. a corner. And then we get probably one of most people's favorites, Heenan's lines, where Piper ends up helping out Flair and Bobby proclaims oh it's it was a kilt it was a kilt all along and then immediately right as he says that piper decks flair and he calls him a skirt wearing creep which is (laughs) freak which is (laughs) hilarious uh on many levels then irs comes out and him and duggan go at it and he uh duggan grabs irs's tie and bobby exclaims that he has him by the tongue which is another great (laughs) meaning moment but undertaker was actually the other person and uh, him around this point, he eliminated Jimmy Snuka immediately. So no revenge for WrestleMania seven for Snuka. And then Flair and Undertaker really went at it and Duggan saved Flair. And I thought one of the weirdest portions of this match, because Undertaker had Flair kind of on the ropes. Mm-hmm. I, I had to make a note of this. Yeah. yeah. And then Duggan saved him. And then immediately after RS and Undertaker started teaming up and that's the other tag team I had in mind because my uh, real life job is as an accountant. So I thought the Undertaker and RS as a tag team, you could have so <laughs> many great names. It's like the essentials in life or death and taxes or something along that ilk if they teamed up together. Who's the giant stable? You got Repo Man, The Undertaker, Ted DiBiase, yes. IRS. I don't, I don't know who the hell's managing them, but God, that would be good. Yeah. So then, um, probably Doink. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Doink. Doink. Clown, Doink. <laughs> so uh, as I mentioned, Taker immediately throws Snuka out. Um, right after uh, uh, Undertaker is Macho Man, and if you notice, again, we mentioned that Jake the Snake Roberts is in the ring. Again, awesome storylines integration. Uh, Macho just sprints down. Uh, Jake runs away. He runs out of the ring. <laughs> Macho does a pretty interesting thing here. He jumps over the top rope. He does his usual um, when Macho Man's in a rush to get out of the ring. He just kind of catapults himself above the top rope. Uh, he falls to the ground, and initially, I mean, right away you hear Gorilla and 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 Bobby go, "Oh, I don't know. Did he do that? What you know? Oh, what, what? Well, did he just eliminate himself? Did he do that or whatever?" And they're kind of waiting a little bit, and then. Um, Eventually, Heenan says, "Oh, I just I just got word that uh, he he he's back in it because he wasn't thrown over the top rope. You have to be you have to it has to be an offensive maneuver." And the girl goes, "Oh yes, of course, it has to be an offensive maneuver to like get him out or whatever." And I found that pretty funny because uh, not uh, obvious contradiction to a uh, male maskers did the same thing in 1997, <laughs> and they just kind of said, "Get the hell out of here." Like, Even in like 1989, when uh, Andre runs away from the snake, he of course eliminates himself too. So that's. Uh, 
Uh, you could definitely tell that Macho just had a weak moment and blanked out and dove over on his own. But uh, this this was a pretty heated brawl when he eliminated uh, Jake because you had Macho and Jake kind of going at each other. But then The Undertaker was really mixed up in there. Uh, the Undertaker really beat up Macho on the outside. And then once they got back into the ring, they uh, built it up and it almost made it to me seemed like they were headed towards a feud with each other. I don't, I don't know if that was the case or they were just partnered up for this match, but they were really kind of going at it in intense fashion throughout this sequence. Yeah. And, and those three would actually be integrated again. I mean, when the undertaker turned the babyface was as a result of, you know, him trying to help Macho man. When, when Roberts went over the line, you know, later in the year or, or, or yeah, no, no earlier. Uh, yeah, no, that was a little bit later. Um, Right, because he was yes, because he faced uh, he faced Roberts at, at this coming WrestleMania, correct? Undertaker faced Jake at yeah. WrestleMania, which was uh, <laughs> a couple months away, and that was Jake's swan song. And mm-hmm. then uh, yeah, so so Taker turned face pseudo face very quickly after this match. So it was yeah. it was kind of weird. I don't I watching this match throughout I, I still am not sure they knew quite where they were going you would think they knew quite where they were going at wrestlemania but i'm still a little unsure with some of the choices they made and this was one uh, yeah, of I, yeah i mean we'll talk a little bit later i mean you, you look at a lot of stuff that happened at the end of it or whatever and it's completely it's it's a lot of it makes sense of what they went to but when you hear the rumors of what they wanted to do it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if that we'll get to it when we get to it a little bit right. later um uh, we have the berserker come out at number 22 uh number 23 is virgil i thought this was another awesome bobby line he goes 23 do you know how many bags he's gone through in the back you know, like do you know how much time he's gone he's had to go through the bag yeah. i just thought especially with where virgil's gone these days i i found that just yeah don't just amazingly i i i had to pause that because i was just laughing my ass off for for too long so <laughs> well flair gave undertaker a nut shot around this point in time which was interesting i don't know if a, a dead man if that affects yeah, has him he ever not. really had a low blow has, has undertaker really ever gotten low blow that I, much i didn't see I, that was something i wondered because i mean it was a pretty big spot where the announcers made note of it and taker kind of just no sold it and then went on his way <laughs> so i don't know yeah, i don't have testicles sorry <laughs> That's good. Uh, after twenty uh, fourth is Colonel Mustafa, who um, they they make some sort of reference, and, and Heenan goes, "Well, that's why you know Saddam Hussein made him a, a colonel or whatever." Is that actually what the? I, I know he was named Colonel Mustafa, but they actually say that this guy was like a legitimate. I mean, obviously it's the Iron Sheik and <laughs> General Adnan. I mean, you have like, did they actually like? I, I I remember the story a little bit, but I don't remember them actually literally being like, "Hey, we are Saddam Hussein's like." Yeah. The. Uh... Basically, with the WrestleMania 7 build-up, and then once Mustafa was introduced, Hill, Slaughter, and Adnan were essentially mercenaries from Saddam that Saddam sent purpose, uh, purposely to destroy the WWF or Hulk Hogan or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he was, quote-unquote, a legit general. Okay, because I, I, I know Slaughter, they always kind of went with the Iraqi sympathizer yeah. thing uh, later w- w- when they, he started having some issues as well and people were having a little bit of a backlash. But right. I, I, I had no idea that these guys were literally considered like a general and a colonel in, in Saddam Hussein's army. But yeah, when, when that's pretty Adnan, it was it was worse once. I mean, because by the time Mustafa was introduced, they were still kind of weaning off of that a little bit because mm-hmm. of the backlash. But when Adnan was first introduced, you, you know, he would come out and say like he just got off the phone with Saddam and would like give a shout out to Saddam and all these kind of <laughs> weird, weird uh, instances of him doing that. Uh, number twenty five is Rick Martell, and I thought this was uh, well, this was awesome as well because they mentioned they made mention again that last year he he had set the record or an all time record uh, for length in the Royal Rumble. So again, I mean, you're giving credentials to a guy that going in, I don't really think Rick the Model is going to win, but you have this little okay, well they're talking a lot about him, so this guy's a big deal. I mean, he set the record last year. There's a definite chance he could do it. They did it for uh, Valentine as well. I mean, obviously Valentine came in eleven and, and didn't last very long because the Repo Man was <laughs> was on a tear, but that was another guy as well. I think the year before had had a super long. Um, you know, and they they tend to do that at least once or twice a year is where they have that one guy that goes really long. Yeah. And, and they sort of build him up a little bit the next year or, or, or even going out of that, even the shows out of that, that he was sort of the Iron Man in, in a lot of sense. Yeah, it was really well done here. That was, again, great placement for Martel because he went 51 minutes or whatever in the 91 Rumble and Gorilla 
was able to say, well, he won't have to go nearly that long now in this one to win. So that that was, again, someone that you would think that, that he's, he's never going to win this thing. That gave a little glimmer of hope that it's possible he might. And, and Martel, he was still deep in his model character at this time, and him and Flair went after it. So that was another... Uh, I mean, that that would have been a dream match in 1985 when Flair was the NWA champion and Martel was the AWA, and they mm-hmm. had a couple of good matches in Japan against each other, actually. So I thought that was cool that they sort of re- uh, renewed that rivalry a little bit. It's like one of the most rewarding rumbles for, for like if you're a wrestling historian, yes. if you know stuff, yeah. it's like every time somebody's out there with Flair and that, and a lot of it goes back to Flair. And that's why this 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 time period with Flair in the WWF is just so like it, it's surreal sometimes to watch it and just realize, you know, at his peak, Flair and, and the rest of these guys, just the star power that WWF had in the 92. It's amazing they didn't do more. And there was a lot of reasons in 92 why they didn't. But it's just like you look at this rumble and you're just like, my God, I mean, they, they have a license for money. I mean, they could do so many things here. Yeah. Flair hadn't interacted with a lot of these people uh, yet. He'd mostly been wrestling Hogan or Piper on the house shows. So even, I mean, in his interactions with those two in this match were well done, but just seeing him kind of match up with even the undertaker or the macho man or some of the bigger WWE names at the time for the first time was really fun to see throughout this match. Uh, definitely after uh, Martel was the big one, Hulk Hogan comes out and, and Bobby Heenan immediately proclaims, oh, my God, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's great. And they do a similar camera shot for Hogan, who kind of uh, poses initially, uh, runs into the ring or, well, runs as much as Hogan can run into the ring, uh, takes out Taker, uh, takes out Berserker and then rips his shirt off, does the posing, that sort of stuff. Uh, again, we have Heenan uh, listing off all the accomplishments of the guys in the ring. Um you know, obviously, you still have you know Savages, you have Hogan, you have Flair, you have a lot of guys in there, and, and he just kind of runs them down, every single one. So really good sequence here for, for Hogan, and, and Hogan comes in pretty late. So you have this idea that, oh, my God, you know, Hogan, there's a, there's a lot of guys. I mean, just looking at that, I mean, the guys he's sort of listing off right there, you have like three or four guys in that bunch right there that could easily win it with, with no real question that if they gave it to any of those three, it'd be perfectly right. And and Hogan eliminating Undertaker, I, I always find that a little surprising. Uh, Undertaker looked very strong throughout this match, going after Flair and going after Macho. And so Hogan comes in, and that gives him some shine immediately in that he's able to uh, eliminate the Undertaker, clothesline him out, and then he's able to eliminate Berserker like right immediately after that. So Hogan is firing on all cylinders, is able to tear off his shirt and really pose for the crowd there. Uh, it was right around the time where IRS actually gets knocked out. I had no idea. He was there for 27 minutes. Yeah, he hung out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just, just kind of wanted to hang out in the back. And, and it, it was I was very surprised by it. There's a few guys in there. I mean, Roddy Piper, not a, a ton of surprise, but he went 34 minutes. And that, that's definitely an accomplishment. Um for Piper, uh, number twenty-seven, we have coming in as Skinner. Uh, Skinner might not be a guy that I think is gonna <laughs> probably not one of the guys. They didn't really list any credentials. It was just like Skinner. <laughs> that's that's Skinner, everybody. You know him, right? Basically, said he's the alligator man. So that yeah. if that helps you win a Royal Rumble, so be it. Yeah, and and he was uh, he was out in two minutes and thirteen seconds. Uh, Martel knocked him out. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter came out next, and he had. It, I mean, obviously, he had lost a lot of momentum. Um, it was not too long after. Or he was he he was still. Was he a heel at this point, or had he done the "I want my country back"? Yeah, he done went kind of quasi babyface uh, okay. by this time. He was right on the edge, kind of, and and the crowd didn't seem to know how to react to that because they didn't he, care either yeah, way. Yeah, he didn't get much reaction at all. But the announcers again, one of their best jobs was still putting him over. Where he's he's another guy where if you look back at it, it's like well, slaughter probably had no chance at all but the way the announcers were talking you may could have gave him like a five to seven percent chance of winning by this point uh right for this uh sid justice comes in um what are your thoughts on sid overall i mean a lot of people um i i i have, I have people that i know that that had enjoyed him and, and people that hated him i'm sort of in the middle i i don't know what i think about so what are you what are your kind of overall thoughts on, on sid maybe not not only at this time but just overall I think Sid's an interesting guy to look at because he's had some really great moments. Survivor Series 96 when he wins the belt, 
to the huge reaction at MSG. Even in this match and around this time, he has some iconic moments. But from what I've seen of him looking back, he, he's someone that had some charisma, but he just couldn't put it all together for any sustained amount of time. And I don't necessarily know if he had the motivation to do right. that. So I, I kind of think he probably got the career he pretty much deserved based on his size and his, a bit, you know, his just bare charisma but I, I don't i don't think he's certainly a lost a uh, great worker i actually may think he's a little bit better of a worker than most people would probably give him credit for but i don't i don't think there's a lot of hidden gems i'd say going back and watching sid footage no definitely not and, and that's a guy that always i always thought um effort was a big thing with him and i and I, I sort of get it i mean i think he's a guy that understood Hey, I'm big. Hey, I'm in great shape. Right. I don't need to really go out there and do much. I mean, I'm, I, and the guy, I mean, he made a ton of money just not doing, I mean, guy who didn't really go out there and, and, and ever really risk too many things. I mean, obviously, I, I think in the, in the, the most uh, <laughs> kind of ironic thing is the one time he decided to take a little bit of a risk, <laughs> he blew the hell out of his leg. His leg. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know what? Fine. I'll go off the top rope. And, <laughs> and then his leg just explodes. But that's uh, yeah, you don't have to look that up either. If you've never seen it, it's it's not worth looking up. It's pretty disgusting. But yeah, Sid, uh, at this time, though, I mean, he's a big deal. And, and everybody's sort of taking him as a big deal. And the crowd's reacting to him pretty big. And, and I always found the name kind of odd. Do you ever know why they came to the conclusion of calling him Sid Justice and not just like Sid or? Yeah, I don't know if they were scared. Uh, I'm actually kind of surprised like Sid Vicious was able to, they were able to use that name without, I guess, the estate of Sid Vicious from the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. coming after him. But but Sid Justice, uh, I mean, you know, when he first debuted <laughs> as the referee, he was talking about justice will be served and his kind of justice and all this. But by, by this point, I think they could have lost the justice moniker and just mm-hmm. went with straight Sid. I thought that was kind of uh, interesting as well. Um, so uh, Sid was uh, number 29. Number 30 was interesting uh, because yeah. Curla Monsoon had absolutely no drama in it. He goes, well, no surprise who number 30 is going to be. <laughs> and then Heaton it tries to go, well, you never know. And then Gorilla gets really mad at him and goes, what do you mean we don't know? It can only be one man. And it's like, he's like, it's the Warlord. And then like, they do the countdown and and, and the Warlord comes out and Bobby goes, oh, I told you it was the Warlord or I knew it or whatever. It's I don't know why Gorilla was determined to not let any amount of drama yeah. Come with number 30. I mean, just just no drama. No, we, we, we know who this is. It's the Warlord. It's like, Bobby, or uh, really, just let it happen. Like. <laughs> and and uh, Warlord came out with Whippleman, which, uh, again, with Sid, I thought that was so strange how they partnered him up with Whipple, Whippleman. Mm-hmm. Made, made no sense to me and didn't really fit. Uh, even like Bruno Lauer's uh, whole kind of look and everything, just him being with Sid made Sid look a little less prestigious, just being associated with him, I thought. Yeah, and, and then right at this time, we had a bunch of guys yes. go out. We had uh, Mar- Martel, uh, I believe, uh, went out. Uh, Slaughter, I believe, went out at this time. Um the Whirler comes in. He doesn't last very long. Hogan and Justice take him out. Right. Uh, and we're, we're down to the final four, who is it's Hulk, Flair, Sid, and Savage. Right. And, and that's, I mean, you look at a final four and, and watching some of these and running these down, this is the best. I, I mean, you legitimately have all four of those guys is a coin flip of who can honestly win this. A lot of times you have, you might have two guys. You might have three you always have your kind of Billy Guns that are hanging out in there, and you're like, all right, now the Rocks or the Rock or Stone Cold are probably going to win this, not Billy Gunn or whatever. But this one's legit. Where I, I, I had no, I mean, it, it, if you just watch this for the first time, any of those four easily. Yeah, Sid, uh, real quickly slaughtered his great bump to eliminate himself, where he goes, uh, kind of he runs right into the turnbuckle like Bret Hart does, but instead of just hitting the turnbuckle, he catapults himself over the top rope. But but like you said, with these final four, I know it can be annoying with uh with kind of WWE odds, how if there's a triple threat or or fatal four way match, they say everybody has a one in four chance of winning. And it's like, well, if it's me in there versus John Cena, I don't think I have a fifty percent <laughs> chance of winning the match, uh, odds makers wise. But but in this case, you really could see that it was uh, definitely either one of these four could certainly win, and it would be no surprise whatsoever. Yeah, right at this moment, uh, Sid takes out Savage, uh, throws him over the top. Uh, Flair immediately starts going after Hogan then. Um, as Flair's kind of, Flair and Hogan are sort of fighting a little bit, uh, Sid comes over, walks over, uh, tips Hogan out of the, 
you know, down to the floor. Hogan immediately starts complaining that th- this was interesting because I, what, what, um, how did you go back and watch this? I, uh, I, I have a DVD of this, but it is, I know for a fact, it's not taped off the pay-per-view version. Okay. Yeah. It is. The this WWE. is a very different, yes. Yes. very different depending on what, what version you're watching. I mean, I, I have one version that's, that's, um, uh, a digital version that that's the exact, you know, pay-per-view rip or whatever. And, and that one is significantly different than the one I watched. Cause I watched the, the WWE had it up on YouTube. So I watched uh, their version of it and, and completely different because at this point, a lot of the crowd cheers when Sid knocks Hogan out, but in, in the redubbed one that, that I think you and I both watched, uh, there's a lot of booing. And, and if people don't know that they actually went back and, and redubbed uh, Ho- uh, uh, Monsoon and, and Gorilla or uh, uh, Monsoon and, and Heenan and actually, uh, piped in some new crowd music because the crowd initially, and you, and you could sort of see it as well, even though they, they redubbed it. You could see a ton of people get up and, and start cheering that, that Hogan went out. So I always do find it funny when, when people tend to say that, Oh, well, you know, nowadays fans, you know, don't speak out or, you know, now they speak out against baby faces. They never did that before. And it's right. like, no, they did. They did. <laughs> I mean, you can go back as, as far as survivor series 91 where, where Undertaker beat Hogan and, and there's audible cheers throughout sure, the arena sure. as Hogan's beaten or as Hogan's losing to, to Undertaker, but this is very interesting. So Hogan starts complaining, uh, pointing at Sid, yelling at him, and 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 um, I don't recall if in my ver- or in the version we watched, if Gorilla and Bobby didn't really say anything about this, right? They didn't say, you know, what what is Hogan complaining about, or yeah, they kind of kept quiet. Yeah, if Bobby I'm, if I'm, uh... didn't really complain about. I mean, Hogan essentially pitches a huge shit fit on the outside. <laughs> there's there's no other way to say it. I don't know what his beef is. But uh, but I mean, for someone that two minutes ago was going toe to toe with Roddy Piper, you know, another baby face Hogan was to now all of a sudden have this uh, huge beef with Sid for pulling him out. And he ends up grabbing his arm at the very end. Uh, so it's it's a pretty poor move for Hogan. And you can even argue that he helps Sid over the top because he grabs kind of his shoulder blades mm-hmm. as he's going over the top. So really poor sportsmanship here from the Hulkster. <laughs> Yeah, so as, as you mentioned, Hogan grabs a hold of Sid's arm. Um, Flair gets up, uh, gets near um, Sid, uh, tosses him, or, or yeah, gets near Sid, uh, tops him over the top rope. Uh, as you mentioned, Hogan definitely grabs a shoulder blade and is kind of like, all right, I'll, uh, now you're out. And <laughs> and uh, crashes to the floor, and Flair is our winner. Any any thoughts about the, the way that Flair won? Were you maybe upset by that, or are you perfectly okay with sort of how it ended? Because I've heard some people go, oh, he didn't really, I mean, he, he won, but it, it took Hogan really interfering for him to win. But I, I didn't, I mean, this guy went, you know, almost 60 minutes. Yeah. I think, um, well, we, we reviewed the 88 Royal rumble and that really felt like somebody winning on a defensive maneuver. Like I said, in that podcast, I, I do think this one was a little more substantiated because flair did throw him off. It did show flair's resourceful. And I mean, he went an hour. It's like, how can you not mm. give the guy props? Because he just, he just wrestled an hour, got beat up by every single person that came in uh, the way they celebrate. I think, I think that it, it's something that if they hadn't have done everything else perfect leading up to that, you could maybe make an argument for that, but the way they led everything up and the match worked out, I don't see much of an argument for that theory. And you have the iconic uh, Bobby Heenan call on this. And we have it in the the intro of this, uh, this podcast as well, where he's just, yes, 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 or whatever. And then, uh, uh, he runs down, uh, a gorilla immediately goes, you know, Bobby's run down, uh, (laughs) from the announcer's booth. And, and we get that, that awesome promo. I mean, one of the better promos of all time, uh, you know, the t- with a tear in my eye promo from from Ric Flair afterwards was just just spectacular, just awesome, you know, overall, just a great way to end this. And we get a little bit of a confrontation then after uh, we'll go back to Flair uh, in a bit, but we have a little bit of confrontation here between Sid and Hogan, um, you know, post match. And, and it, I did find this very interesting because I think uh, you sort of alluded to this earlier. You talk about, you, you know, their plan for WrestleMania and, and the plan from what we've heard all along is it was going to be Hogan Flair. And obviously they did house shows. It didn't really work out. So they switched to Hogan Sid and, and, and Flair Savage. But you watch the end of this and it's, it, to me, it's like, all right, Hogan Sid. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, this seemed to set up Hogan and Sid uh, right out of the gate, which again makes me wonder if they knew Savage and Flair were going to be uh, matched up already. I would, I would kind of think they did. And they did go at it each other throughout the Rumble. So you did kind of have that. But uh, but it did seem right here that they were definitely married to the idea that it was going to be Hogan versus Sid with the way they did the finish and 
uh, got a Tony Gurria and Pat Patterson siding pulling apart Hogan and Sid <laughs> yelling at each other. So it seemed like that was a match that was going to happen soon. Because there wasn't a whole lot of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there wasn't a whole lot of interaction between Flair and Hogan at this point. Not, not that I noticed. I mean, there was a little bit, I think, where they made it chopped a few times. But for the most part, they kind of stayed away from one another. Yeah, they interacted a little bit in the match. Not, I wouldn't say a, a ton. And then one thing that, I, with all the interactions, I was kind of interested in that Hogan and Sid, as far as I know, never touched until Sid dumped Hogan. Like, I mean, Sid's not in there for very long because he's 29 and and uh, Warlord's 30 or whatever. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, Hogan and Flair had that little scruff out on the floor where Hogan suplexes Flair. But, but beyond that, and then Hogan and Sid, like I said, as far as I know, they didn't touch until Sid dumped Hogan. So I thought that was pretty interesting, too. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and and looking at a few of the numbers, um, uh, uh, length and, and, and throwouts, it looks like, and I, I don't know if that's exact. I'm just kind of doing a rundown. I didn't find an exact list, but I think uh, Sid Justice had the most uh, eliminations with five. I think it was pretty interesting. There wasn't a whole lot of, there wasn't one guy that had a lot. I mean, the British Bulldog initially started out, uh, he had four of the first five, or uh, three of the first five rather, but um, yeah, Repo Man with two, <laughs> uh, Big Boss Man with two, um, well, we know- Hogan with Three. Yeah, I know Flyer at least had three. Boss Man. Yeah, one, two. Boss Man. Yeah, Tornado, Tornado, Bulldog, four. and Boss Man. Yeah. And then Sid at the end, so four for him. So that's. I guess you can give him five because he has a, a few. Him and uh, him and Justice are, are accounted for Savage, and then uh, him and Hogan are accounted for Justice. So. Yeah. In my list, at least. But yeah, so around five. So he kind of tied for the top if, if judged by the count. But yeah, I thought it was really well balanced. Uh, Rumble, obviously, Ric Flair, without a doubt. Is going to be your longest uh, tenured guy at 59 minutes. Uh, next closest that I can see is Bulldog at 20. Uh, sorry, uh, Roddy Piper at 34. Uh, then you have Erwin R. Scheisser, who somehow, someway got 27 <laughs> out of this. I feel like he was supposed to go out earlier and just kind of like, oh, I'm just going to hang around and, and see what happens. Uh, Savage is at 22 minutes. Uh, your British Bulldog at 23. And then a lot of guys around that 15 to 12 minute mark as well, where you have uh, Tito Santana, Shawn Michaels, uh, even Barbarian got uh, 10 minutes. Jim Duggan had 20. Uh, Undertaker 13 and uh, surprisingly Rick Martell he got 12 minutes at the end of this and and a lot of the big guys I mean Hokey came in 26 but he only had 11 and then Justice obviously didn't have a whole lot of time too at 29 but he was only in for five minutes right. so uh, any other kind of thoughts or, or notes that you had from this rumble obviously this is this is the one that that, that people look back on and and, and they really struck I mean just every I mean we, we went through this and just every guy had something yeah, it hits to on, do. It's, it hits on all cylinders. I think it's it's a great match for wrestling historians. Like you said, if you just watch it, uh, you know, going in blind, I think it's a very entertaining match with a lot of intertwining storylines to get you interested. And the fl- the flare promo at the end. This is a guy that's known for his promos. Uh, I, I I would put this. I I can't think of too many right offhand as good as this one, and. I, I do like the current product, WWE, but if you just look at this promo and the way Flair, his reaction shots and Bobby and Perfect behind him, like it's the happiest moment of all three of their lives. Mm-hmm. And you really believe that. Like they have never been more excited than they are right there at this moment. And there's a certain authenticity throughout uh, this promo that you just don't see, I don't think, nowadays very often. And it's it's really a memorable moment. Yeah, if you want to talk about a guy taking it seriously, I mean, a lot of times we get this now, but it's very much uh, when you get these impassioned promos, a lot of it feels like this guy, you know, that he he knows is sort of a prop and he's trying to, you know, build his character up or, or it's not a, that big of a deal to him. I mean, there's other things that are bigger deals to him. To, to this moment right now, I mean, between Flair, Perfect and Heenan, it was like, this is everything. To Flair, this was his everything. And I think he mentions that as well. He just says that, you know, this this is this is my greatest accomplishment ever. This is the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, this is it. I've reached the top or i've reached the pinnacle and it's just like it, it's awesome it's just so good and, and and if you've never seen it if you've cut out it, it before the or just watched the match or whatever seriously go back and watch it right now i mean it, it's just unbelievable how good it is it, it's it's promo 101 to really make people care about what you're saying or, and what you're sort of trying to sell as well it, it's uh, it's awesome right and it, I, I mean a lot of people would say flair is the greatest wrestler of all time and i don't know if he does have a more iconic victory than this match so there's that as well 
Absolutely. So uh, we've been given ratings for all these matches. Uh, where would you put this one? And I, I, I'm putting it on a sort of a Royal Rumble scale uh, as well. So we're doing a, out of 10 on, on kind of this quote unquote Royal Rumble scale. Yeah, it's tough for me to do star ratings on the Rumble. But this to me is one of my favorite matches. It's easy to watch. I, I find new stuff every time I do watch. So this this is a 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah. And I'm very interested you know, going in, I don't think there's a Royal Rumble that I think is better than this. And I've seen every one of them at least once before. And I'll be very curious if there's a better one when I finish rewatching this and doing some more of these shows. Yeah, to me, I, I give it a 10 out of 10 as well because it's just it, – it, it's perfection of the Royal Rumble. It's just exactly – everything's perfectly booked. They're, they're, everybody that's in there is either a star or a big deal. And if they're not a big deal, the announcers made them feel like a big deal. Uh, you know, everything just worked perfectly. There's so many. I mean, I, I, I could count. I was trying to count right now. I think there's about six or seven sort of intertwined feuds among the Royal Rumble going on as well. And that, that's you don't. You, it, it, it's hard to really do that again. I mean, it's it's really. I mean, a lot of these Rumbles will watch. There's some that I I've enjoyed, you know, close to it, but none of them have the the amount of rewarding. You know moments where where you mentioned as well. I mean, if you take out the WWF stuff, and you have the Carrie Von Eric versus Ric Flair. You have Rick Martel versus Ric Flair. You have these little these moments of, of guys that that haven't interacted in years interacting again that that they don't really make a whole lot of mention of. But if you're a real big wrestling historian, there's something special about it. And and you just don't. You, you, it's going to be hard to get that in any other Royal Rumble, no matter how good they are. Right. This feels like a moment in time. It's 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 such a good one, and and, and it, I, when we talked about doing this one, this is one that neither of us said we really had to rewatch. I mean, we could have just done this, but I mean, I did anyway because it's always, as you mentioned, there's something cool every single time. Yeah. I mean, I, there, there's moments that I don't catch, you know, the first time that I'll catch. I mean, I've watched this thing nine, ten, fifteen. I, I can't. I've lost track how many times I've watched this thing, but it, it, it's a spectacular Royal Rumble, definitely. So, uh, any closing thoughts or anything else to leave us with, or? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, just a great match. I I would assume that most people that are listening to this have seen it before because it is still one of those iconic WWF matches in history. But if you haven't, certainly check it out, and it's pretty easy to find. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's the wrestling fan bucket list, and yeah, it's super. I mean, WWE has the full length one on YouTube. It, right. it it couldn't be easier. They're literally just like here, watch this awesomeness, you know, right here. So, uh, Chad, thanks you again for coming on to review the Royal Rumble nineteen ninety two, and maybe before you go. Uh, Quick little notes, uh, obviously, about Place to Be Nation, where they could follow you, uh, where they could follow Place to Be Nation, and, and what you guys kind of have coming up or, or what you guys do if, if people aren't aware. All right. Just uh, you can follow me at Chatty151 on Twitter, C-H-A-D-D-I-E-151. Uh, and then you can follow Place to Be Nation at Place, the number two, B-E Nation on Twitter. And we'll have a lot of kind of – we have a year-end articles in wrestling coming up. I know we have a couple of podcasts coming up, a new podcast series called Wrestling Across America, which I'm pretty excited about. So some stuff – good stuff coming up in 2014. Yeah, definitely. And I, w- I want to make a little bit of mention of this as well. Um, we have our uh, – The Voice of Wrestling, we're doing an end-of-the-year uh, top 10 matches. And we're, we're going to stretch that. We're, we're telling people top 10, but we're, we've gotten so many different votes from so many different areas that we're probably going to do at least a, a top 15 or a top 20 because there's legitimate contenders at least 20 deep. But uh, I know you were a voter on that. And um, what was your kind of thoughts on, on doing that? And sort of how did you have to go back and, and, and rewatch stuff? Because I know I personally rewatched maybe 30, 40 stuff. I've heard people saying, oh, I just I just watched 120 matches. And it's like, oh, Jesus. Like, <laughs> I know uh, you, you, I, I think you had a pretty significant number, too, that you went back and rewatched. Yeah, so I had watched most of the candidates throughout the year as they happened live. But to go rewatching them, I took a lot of the high contenders that I thought. So, for instance, for New Japan, I took any match that Joe ranked around four stars or four and a quarter stars and above and rewatched those. And then I watched a good bit of Lucha and then the big WWE candidates. So I ended up watching 50 matches that I thought could possibly make either mine or someone else's top 10 list. And then I rewatched all of those and ranked them. So I had a blast doing that in kind of a two week span, two or three week span. So I was watching a couple matches a day. It was something good to watch. Just I usually watched one one match before I went to work in the morning, and then one match right before I went to bed. So that was really good to kind of get a little wrestling in on my day, and I had a super fun time compiling my list. Yeah, definitely, and we're going to release the results of that probably about one or two days after January fourth, and that's when the balloting ends, uh, January fourth. Um, 
real quick before I let you go, though, and, and this has always been pretty interesting because this is, I think, what, what the best part about this whole doing this list is, especially even for me, uh, you know, even compiling it and looking at the calculations or whatever, are a lot of matches that I might have missed that, that I'm watching now and seeing now that are getting a lot of votes and are, are high up on the list. And I'm going, OK, maybe I should go out and seek out this match or maybe I should watch it. Or whatever. And I think that's going to be the great thing for a lot of people that are voting on this is you're going to see and, 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 and a lot of stuff that you might have missed. And I know I'm definitely seeing a lot for people maybe that if you want to give them maybe one sleeper match they, they might not have watched so far, maybe there's somebody that hasn't fully launched their ballot yet or is waiting until the last day, which is <laughs> I think what a lot of people are doing. And we have a ton of ballots in, but there are a lot still waiting for the last day. But if there's people sort of waiting on that, give them a match that's going to maybe blow up their list or a match that they haven't watched or didn't even think about watching that might make their top 10 or might make anyone's top 10 really. Yeah. Uh, the match I'll recommend is a match between two guys you should be familiar with. Uh, based on their U.S. work and just their overall name marketability. And that's Starker Wagner Jr. versus L.A. Park, and that was from 5 uh, May 11th in the TXT promotion down in Mexico. That's a great 30-minute war battle. Uh, the, fir- the first visual of the match is you <laughs> see a, a hair on fire. So that kind of sets the scene for this very violent, brutal brawl that these two have with each other. Yeah, this, was, this was a match, and I'm glad you mentioned that one. That was one that specifically I kept seeing coming on ballots and kept seeing coming on ballots. And at a point, it was in the top five. It's it's fallen a little bit now, but it's, it's still um, a match that's still up there. It's still in the rankings. And I went back and I said, okay, I, I might be missing something. I must be missing something because a lot of people think this thing is, is awesome or whatever. I didn't watch it initially, went back and watched it, almost made my list. I know Joe had the same thing, too. He watched it and really, really, really was had a, had a tough time not putting it in his top 10 and I know it was right on the outskirts, but I think it's still going to maybe it's still going to, it's, it's going to place pretty well in there. And that, that's a match that, yeah, if you haven't watched yet, definitely seek it out. And I know it's available. I'm not going to give you the exact spot to, to find it, but if, if you could do a little bit of Google search and you'll be able to find it pretty quickly. Sure. But yeah, that, that was an awesome match. I, I, I'm glad you sort of mentioned that one. Cause I thought that was really good, but uh, Chad, thanks again for coming on to uh, discuss Royal Rumble 1992. Uh, again, it's place to be nation.com to see all of your work and all the rest of the place to be nation families work. And again, uh, thank you for coming on Finn. Uh, a pleasure definitely to watch this Royal Rumble again. I mean, absolutely. It was a great time. Definitely. All right. For Chad Campbell, I'm Rich Grage. We'll see you next time on the Voice of Wrestling Royal Rumble Rewind. Take care. People have gathered around ideas since the beginning of time. Each successful collaboration pushing innovation forward, building a stronger future. Motorists Insurance Group and Brick Street Insurance have combined decades of experience to create an even better one-stop shop for agents and policyholders. Encircling businesses and individuals with coverage at every step in life's journey. We are now in Cova Insurance.